This morning we're going to be reading from Philippians 2, 1 through 11. If you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 1230. If you want to use your electronic devices, you are welcome to do that. While you're turning, while you're finding where you're supposed to be in Philippians, I just wanted to mention if you're a guest with us, we have guest cards in the pew. Um, if you'll fill them out and drop them in the offering plate later, that we just want a way to contact you later so we can um, talk to you. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus, that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, good to be back with you today. As uh, we're kind of in, a, in the land between two sermon series, I guess. Uh, here for a couple of weeks, we're just going to, I don't know, tread water as we wait for the next one to come. In a couple of weeks, we'll uh, start a, a series called Jesus Talks, kind of if you're familiar with TED Talks. Um, you know, people come that are experts in different fields and, and give uh, neat little talks. Well, Jesus was an expert on pretty much everything, and he gave a lot of talks too. So we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus talked about just from a real practical level in our lives. So that's coming up in a couple weeks. But I wanted to follow up this week from the series that we just ended, Keys to Freedom, which was a, a sort of discipleship study that was designed to give us certain principles, uh, keys to freedom, right, that, that we could apply in our lives moving forward to uh, make progress in our faith journey with Christ in that discipleship journey. Uh, discipleship based on the belief that there is a better way, right? That there's a better way to live, that Jesus laid out a better way, and that that better way is available to everyone. In fact, God designed us for a certain way to live, and because of this thing that we call sin, we live in a way that uh, opposes that, that way that we were designed to live. And so part of following Jesus, of being a disciple of Jesus, is to acknowledge that there is a better way, that the way that the Creator designed us to live is a better way, and, and to pursue that by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, uh, the ultimate prize of our faith, and, and to strive to conform our life to look more like His life, and to consider how we might take on uh, who He was and is in our lives. And so uh, today I want to just talk a little bit more about the discipleship from the angle of I believe there is an inherent danger 
in the process of discipleship. Uh, we're going to call that the discipleship delusion today. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what that is and, and what I believe the antidotes for that are. So that if it's something that you deal with in your life already or have dealt with, then you'll be able to apply the antidote. And on the opposite side of that thing, if you aren't there yet, but you're really serious about uh, taking on this discipleship journey and using those keys to freedom that we just talked about uh, and pursuing this better way, then this is a good thing to have in your back pocket or even to take as kind of a vaccine against the discipleship delusion that we'll talk about today. Uh, a long time ago, uh, you know, there was a, uh, a song, and I can't believe it's a long time ago now. It still seems not that long ago to me, but uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with it. It was a Michael Jackson song. It said, I'm looking at the man in the... Mirror, some of you knew, all right? Uh, I'm asking him to change his ways. He said, uh, if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. That's not popular anymore. I'm not even sure that could be a hit song anymore in our culture because our culture is no longer about looking at the man in the mirror. It's about looking across the way at that other guy Right? Or at that other political party, or at that other group of people, or at that other church across the road, or at that other guy in your family, or whatever. They're the problem. And if we could fix them, or educate them, or, you know, then the world would be a better place. Or if we could just fix that problem over there, the world would be a better place. And so you have all these people that you know, don't even know how to make their own bed and they're trying to fix the economic system. Right? This is the world we live in. And so, you know, we've lost sight of the fact that the best way to change the world is to begin by looking in the mirror. And that's what discipleship is about. You, you're looking in the mirror, except it's, only, it's better. You're actually looking at, at Christ and trying to see how can I bring my life into line with that. And so those principles that we talked about are all about you know, turning to a, a little bit of an inward focus to take inventory and to work on things in our lives with Christ. But there's an inherent danger in that process. And so I want to talk about that today. Uh, just sort of a little make-believe story here. There was a, a lady named Deidre who had been a disciple of Jesus for a long time. She uh, had had her ups and downs with it and uh, had, had run into this discipleship delusion. She liked to call it Deidre's deadly discipleship delusion because the only thing better than two D's is four D's. So, uh, these days, Deidre enjoys helping out as a discipleship mentor at her local church, and, and she can totally identify with people like, uh, like Allison. And Allison grew up in a rough home, and her parents didn't really um, speak a lot of love into her life. It was more like demeaning all the time. And so when she came to Christ later, part of her process was replacing those old lies with the truth that she was worth something to Christ. And, and so she began that journey and it was really good. <coughs> but over time, uh, she got frustrated with her, her faith and, uh, and she began to just always need more affirmation, more affirmation. Steve grew up in church and, and he was always a pretty good kid. Never really rebellious, didn't really have 
like the whole, you know, sowing his wild oats season or anything like that. Just a, just a good guy. And uh, over time, he came to realize that he was actually a lot further ahead of everyone else morally. And uh, he began to think he was pretty good at this discipleship thing. In fact, if Steve had looked up discipleship in the dictionary and found a picture of him staring back at himself, he wouldn't have been ex- surprised at all. Of course, he wouldn't have said that because that wouldn't sound very humble, right? But Steve had it together. Then there was Frank. And Frank had experienced incredible change and just transformation when he first came to Christ. Like It just was a major sweeping change in his life. He had been a pretty immoral person and, and God just began to do some major works in his life. But lately, he just kind of felt like he was spinning his wheels and he couldn't even think of the last thing that recently that Jesus had really done in his life or that it had made any difference and he began to wonder if this discipleship thing was even for him at all. Now Deidre had been there before all these symptoms she was familiar with from her own discipleship experience to some degree or another and she recognized the delusion going on there. The discipleship delusion is this idea that you can actually spend so much time working internally on, on you stuff that you begin to believe that it is all about you. For Allison, that took the form of constantly seeking affirmation. You know, constantly tuning into those positive hits on the radio, hoping that one of them would just, you know, boost her self-esteem a little more that day. Coming to the church on Sunday, hoping that something will get said that would boost her and hoping that she would get fed that day, always with a prayer request of how someone could pray for her because she's just really struggling and always needing affirmation week after week after week. For Steve, that delusion took the form of of thinking that he had it all together. And so, you know, he's one of those guys that sits in the pew and as the preacher preaches, he's like, hmm, I hope they're listening. Or he's thinking, well, I wish my aunt could hear this message. She needs to hear it. (laughs) You know, For Frank, the delusion left him feeling frustrated, ready to hang it up. He didn't make it to church all that much anymore because, you know, why bother? It had stopped making a difference in his life. And so you've got different symptoms from the same root issue. And all three of these started from good intentions. Allison needed that affirmation in her life. She needed to hear that she was worth something to Christ. Steve started out doing the right things for the right reasons, but over time just developed this superior sense of self as he kept concentrating on him and how good he was doing. For Frank, his frustration stemmed from just the sense that he wasn't making progress anymore. And and he wondered why. And, And Deidre believed that all these could be traced back to the discipleship delusion. Maybe you find yourself a little bit in one of those stories or something similar. Where in your faith, that's where you're at. You're stuck in this cycle of constantly needing to be fed or affirmed. And, and, or maybe you're there where you just uh, honestly think you've got it all together. Or maybe you're really just feeling frustrated or like, what difference does this faith really make? 
And wherever you are across that spectrum, if you're a sincere uh, disciple of Jesus, if you've tried to follow Jesus, if you believe that there is a better way and you've been pursuing that to some degree, well then part of your problem might lie in this thing I'm calling the discipleship delusion. And so let's talk a little bit about the antidote today as we explore a letter from the Apostle Paul to a group of people that he was very close to and had a close relationship with. He loved this church in Philippi. They were probably his closest friends of the churches that he developed just by the tone of the letter that he wrote to them compared to the other letters we have. He was proud of them and he cared about them. And yet it seems that he still saw some things going on there that he was concerned about. And so at the beginning of his letter, he writes those words we just read after his initial greeting statements. And he says, make my joy complete. Like if there's anything you could do to just make this complete, my, my sense of joy and that I get from you and from our friendship, then make it complete by being like-minded, having the same love, by being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And so here's these disciples of Jesus, earnest in their pursuit of Jesus' character, who at least to some degree were self-absorbed, conceited, self-interested. How could that be? The, the deadly discipleship delusion is the, the belief that discipleship is all about you. And see, this is the, it's an easy trap to fall into. Because by its nature, if you notice through those keys to freedom that we just went through, you work on your commitment and connection to Christ. You work on renewing your mind, replacing lies that you believe with truth. And to do that, you've got to take inventory. You've got to really think about your life and what you think and what you believe. You work on healing hurts. You know, people have hurt you and you got, drudge those things up and you work through them with Christ. Breaking generational patterns where you're thinking back through, okay, what are the things that I've inherited uh, from generations before me, whether in your immediate family context or a broader cultural context that aren't very Christ-like and that I need to work on breaking those patterns in my life. You know, all these kinds of things, we have to look in the mirror, right? Which is the place where everyone needs to start if we want to make a change in this world. And yet the danger is that as we go through that journey, if we get stuck in this rut of just looking internally, looking internally, looking internally, working on me, working on me, then sooner or later we can fall into the trap that it is all about us. And then we've missed the whole point. We've missed the whole point and we've just found another way to be selfish, right? And self-absorbed. We were doing a good enough job of that before we became disciples of Jesus. And if we're not careful with the discipleship process, then the same thing can happen there. And it leads to those symptoms that we talked about. It's different for different people. It can lead to frustration, or it can lead to self-righteousness and superiority, or it can lead to that constant need for affirmation and other things as well, I'm sure. So there's an antidote, and the Apostle Paul 
explores it, even the first part of it, right here. In that opening statement. The first thing being this idea that not only do you need to be looking in the mirror, you need to be looking at others. You need to be considering their interests and their needs and their concerns. So we might say that the first part of the antidote to the discipleship delusion is loving communion. That's just what it sounds like to me that Paul is describing. Communion not in the sense of the bread and the cup that we take, but a coming together, a relational unity. That's what Paul is describing here. A loving communion. And to have that, you can't, you simply can't have that with people that are all looking inward. You can't. You have to look at and consider the person across the way from you and what they're dealing with and what their struggle is and how they're seeing the situation. You have to try and put yourself in their shoes. You have to think about, you know, how could I encourage? How could I help this person? How could I pray for this person? So the first part of the antidote to the discipleship delusion is loving communion. And then Paul goes on. And he talks about keeping our eyes on Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul said, look at Jesus. I mean, isn't he the, the whole point of discipleship? Like, he's the one to whom we are disciples. <laughs> and, and his nature, he, he took on the role of a servant. And he humbled himself, even though he had every right to have pride. But instead, he humbled himself. And he took on the role of a servant. So we might say that the antidote to the discipleship delusion is loving communion and humble servanthood. If you want to fill in blanks, that's it. Loving communion and humble servanthood are the antidotes to discipleship delusion. This idea that it's all about us. The way that we avoid that is by being a disciple in a certain context, the context of loving communion, where when we gather with other believers, whether it's here at Cypress Street, or in our homes, or wherever, you know, at your workplace, wherever you are with other believers, that you don't go in thinking, what can these other believers do for me? But you go in thinking about, how can we love one another? How can I consider their interests? And, and that we live our lives from a perspective of humble servanthood, because after all, the one whom we are trying to model our lives, this better way that we're trying to chase, that Jesus demonstrated for us, is characterized by humble servanthood. Doing for others. Serving God and serving others. And if we're not doing those things, then of course we're not going to make much progress 
in looking like Jesus because that's what Jesus looked like. Jesus pursued loving communion. And he humbled himself and took on the role of a servant. So my question for you today, as we consider this, is how can we apply this in our life? And I don't know where you're at with your discipleship journey or whether you identify with any of those you know, frustrations or the constant need for affirmation or that sometimes nagging sense of superiority in your life or what symptom you might be dealing with that would point to you that maybe you've made discipleship all about you. And if that's the case, then consider maybe which of these you need to incorporate into your life next. Or maybe it's both in some way. Or which of these do you need to get better at? There's probably a thousand ways to do these things. And I can't possibly enumerate them all for you. Loving communion, like I've already mentioned, doesn't have to happen here. It happens anywhere that you're with other believers, whether that's in your home with your immediate family, maybe your extended family or Christians and you're having loving communion with them. Anywhere where you gather with brothers and sisters in Christ is an opportunity to engage in loving communion with others. But we can't do that until we take our eyes off ourselves, as the Apostle Paul said, and consider the interests of others. Move out from a place of vain conceit to a place where we consider the needs of others and how we might benefit them and encourage them. So it could just be as simple as the next time you're going to be around some brothers and sisters in Christ, and by the way, you're here right now, so you could put this into practice right away, is instead of thinking, what am I going to get out of this today? Or thinking nothing at all, like here we just go to church again. Uh, maybe spend some time thinking, who can I encourage before I leave here today? Who can I bless before I leave here today? Whose needs have I not considered? And with humble servanthood, again, you don't have to wait for us to announce that we're serving at Grace Place. You don't have to wait for us to schedule a serving opportunity that would actually fit your work schedule. Right? You can serve someone today in a small way or maybe a big way. Who knows what opportunity will come your way if you're looking for it. You can serve your spouse this week. You could serve your kids this week. You could serve your parents this week. You could serve your sibling this week. There's ways to do it. You'll run across people just in the world at your workplace or at the store that could use a hand. And if we're looking for it, if we can look past ourselves and not just look inward all the time, but also look outward, we'll notice those, those needs and we'll move to meet those needs. And so, like I say, I, there's endless opportunities to live these things out. So I just want to spend a few minutes today talking about one specific opportunity, and it's one we haven't talked about in a while. In fact, I'm not sure that we've spent much time talking about it on a Sunday morning since uh, August 2017, and that is our Circles Ministry. 
And our Circles Ministry is a place where you have an opportunity to engage in loving communion and humble servanthood on a regular basis. Uh, They're not designed or meant to be the be-all and end-all of this, but to supply a place where you can practice this. And so we, uh, you know, it's always something we can do to make that ministry better, and so we'll continue and pursue that. If you ever have ideas, we'd love to have those ideas, but I want to share with you a couple of ideas that, um, that we've had recently or that have come to us, and that I want to encourage you and your circle to be a part of, to take part in. So, first off, with this idea of loving communion, how does that play out in our circle's ministry? Well, hopefully, again, when we come into a circle setting, we're not just thinking about, uh, what do I get out of this each week? But we're also thinking of, how can I encourage someone this week? Uh, maybe, you know, they will share a need, and, and I can speak into that from experience from my own need. Maybe, maybe today I just need to be a little more vulnerable, even though that feels scary, uh, and let other folks know that they can be vulnerable with me. Uh, maybe that just means praying. Praying for everyone in your circle. It provides you with a small group. Like maybe you can't go through the list and pray for every single person in this church, but you could pray for everyone around that circle that you meet with each week. And so it provides you an opportunity for loving communion. And it may be that the people around your circle are not necessarily who you'd pick if you were creating your, fer- your perfect circle. Like maybe they're not exactly in the same life stage, or maybe their personality is a little quirky, and welcome to the family of God. <laughs> and that's kind of the beauty of it. Is we take people from all walks of life and from various socioeconomic status and various cultures and and we mush all together in one big happy family and and sometimes it's a little it takes a little getting used to each other and that's okay it gives you an opportunity to practice this loving communion and here's just a practical idea for you and your circle maybe today as you meet you could plan a date Put it on the calendar, a Sunday, where after your circle finishes meeting, or after church, however your schedule works, you go maybe to a restaurant where you can all gather around a table, or maybe to someone's home would be even better, if someone's home is available to you in your group, and and just share a meal together. And you don't have to cook a big meal, you could just, everybody could grab something on their way there. And just each family can kind of take care of themselves. But just show up and share some time together in someone's home. Around a meal. There's something special and relational about that. That Jesus understood very well. So maybe you could live that out. Through your group. It's just a simple way. Maybe every now and then you could work that into your schedule. And I think that you would find that it makes a difference in your life and and draws you a little bit closer to one another and helps you with that process of thinking beyond yourself. And and the second thing being uh, humble servanthood. And 
We haven't done a lot of that with our circles, at least most of us, I don't think. Um, though we do things like right now, our circles are putting together uh, gift bags for Grace Place Christmas, right? And we do things like that from time to time. And sometimes there's a need that your circle becomes aware of and you try to meet it. And that's awesome. And that's what we ought to be doing. Here's just another idea that we had as, as circle leaders a while back when we met. And that was, what if we aimed to do one sort of service project as a circle each spring and each fall? That'd be two a year. And if our youth participated in that too, we'd have, that'd mean 10 service projects took place each year. And I think that would be a pretty awesome start. Just one thing each fall, one thing each spring that, that your circle could tackle as just some way to serve in our community or in our church family. or you know, It, it could be anything from uh, helping someone who needs help in our church family with their yard or something. They're just not physically able to do that and so we help them. Or it could be a need that you're aware of in the community. Uh, I, I know that places like the food bank or or CCM or Grace Place sometimes need volunteers outside of just um, the normal things that we do with them. And so you have a chance there to just call them up and ask questions. What do you need? Can our small group help? And they love to get people involved. So maybe today, as you gather in your circle time, you could also spend time not just picking a date for uh, a time to do lunch together, but also brainstorming what are some possible things that, that we might like to try serving in as a, as a circle. And it may be that over time you find like a thing that's just kind of y'all's thing that you enjoy doing. Or it may be that you like to mix it up and change it up from time to time. But begin this process by just brainstorming. Where are some places that we could serve? What are some things that we could do given our gift set or our calendars or our resources? What are some things that we as a circle could do together? Uh, so just begin the process of brainstorming. And maybe then assign some people to do some research and come back and, and then next week maybe land on something uh, to try for next spring. This fall is almost up, isn't it? <laughs> Moving fast. Already feels like winter out there. So just ideas. What if we used our, our circles ministry as an opportunity to practice loving communion, to practice humble servanthood. They're perfect for that, and they're already there. The cool thing is, as we humble ourselves and as we think of others, the opposite happens of what the world would expect. You know, in our culture today, humility is generally considered a, a good value to have. Loving others is considered important. Different people in the world have different opinions about what that ought to look like, but at least in name, these things are held up as values. But throughout human history, that has not been the case. This was really an idea that Christianity introduced into the world, at least into the Western world. And before that, uh, humility was considered more of a vice than a virtue. You should have pride. 
You should be confident. You should be strong. You should be all, you know, those were the things that were valued in that culture. And, and the idea of humbling yourself and being a servant to others, that's something you should look at as beneath you if you want to make your way in the world. And there's a sense in which that kind of thinking still makes sense to our, the human side of our mind, the fleshly side of our mind, that if we make it whoop, not about us, if we make it about others, if we're constantly thinking of others and serving others, then what about us? And yet Christ showed the ultimate example of what happens when someone gives of themselves and humbles themselves. Paul finishes that passage we read today by saying, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I long for that day. I look forward to that day when everyone recognizes when what we believe by faith becomes sight. And for those of us who believe that there's a better way, for those of us who pursue the life that we were designed to live, who pursue the Christ-like life of loving communion and humble servanthood. Scripture says we'll reign with Him. We'll share in His glory. This is what happens to those who humble themselves and think of others, who serve the Lord and serve others, because of the change that God is making in their heart through His Holy Spirit. Because what you're doing then, you're discovering the life that God designed you to live. And there's only good that can come from that. Maybe today you're here and you're not sure really where your relationship is with Christ. Uh, maybe it has been a struggle for you and you have kind of given up on the discipleship thing and maybe today you'd like to recommit yourself to Christ to give your life to Him again. Or maybe this idea that there's a better way to live is kind of still a new concept to you and you thought that Christianity was only about punching your ticket to heaven and you didn't realize that there was a better way of life involved with it and you'd like to sign up for that and follow Jesus. And give your life to Christ today. Please do it. And, and there's a connect card that is not only for guests, but for anyone making a decision. And if you would like to make a decision for Christ, let us know so we can get in touch with you about baptism and just follow up with you on your faith. I'd love to do that. Let's stand and pray together. Father, thank you for showing us the way. Thank you for loving and serving to the uttermost. We have this tendency to make even our faith in Jesus about us sometimes, God. So Holy Spirit, help us to love others as you have loved us. 
Teach us to serve as you have served us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.